This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and thank you for joining me. I'm uh, trying to keep it a little quiet because, um, yeah, my wife is sleeping next door, and uh, it would just be rude if I started yelling and getting super enthusiastic about a podcast, right? But I, I am. I'm really enthusiastic about this podcast. You want to know why? Because we have an incredible guest, and that guest is Colt Cabana. Now, some of you that aren't hip to the wrestling world are probably like, who's Colt Cabana? And that's totally fine. I didn't know about him up until maybe about two or so years ago, where a lot of my friends who are wrestling enthusiasts mentioned to me Colt and his podcast. And um, basically, he does what I do, except in the wrestling world. And he has people on, you know, people that you undoubtedly recognize from like, you know, CM Punk to Jake the Steak Roberts and all those people. Um, but the real reason I wanted to have him on was because the parallels between independent wrestling and independent music are practically the same because independent wrestling, you know, is done in like VFW halls and other spaces in which we do shows and they function the same exact way where it's like, all right, well, uh, let's put on a show Friday and Saturday night, bring some wrestlers in, pay them some money, and then hopefully we'll get uh, some people to, uh, you know, purchase tickets and do that. And, um, I just always been fascinated with it ever since I really started to become aware of the independent wrestling circuit. And uh, Colt is, I mean, he's a lifer. Uh, He's dedicated so much of his time and energy and efforts into this, and he's carved a great career for himself. Um, He's traveled all over the world. And uh, basically, the dude is a real dude. (laughs) He has done the work, and uh, he's an incredibly cool guy as well. And But I want to tell you, first and foremost, he has a new movie. It's called Wrestling Road Diaries, Volume 3. And basically, it's a behind-the-scenes look at what it is that his life is and what it is that independent wrestlers do. And uh, it ships out November 5th. So go to ColtMerch.com, and that's where you can easily grab it. And then the digital is available on November 11th. So do that, because uh, I've seen it, and it's a really, really insightful look at that. And it's also incredibly entertaining. So there you go. But uh, some uh, some other business to take care of before we uh, we dive into the conversation with Colt. So I'm pretty exhausted because uh, you know Halloween. It's uh, always a fun holiday, and when you, when you got kids, you do fun stuff. But I went to Nightmare Before Christmas at the Hollywood Bowl, where they did like a live scoring of the movie, and they had you know the original cast, the voice cast, come back and do like you know Danny Elfman and Paul Rubens and Catherine O'Hara. And I took my son to it, and um, it, it. I know I. It, Recently, you've probably noticed a theme in the uh, the intros of this show is that uh, music is unbelievable. <laughs> and I, I know that's such an obvious statement, but uh, to watch, you know, my son's like five and watching him be affected by this music. Like we've listened to this soundtrack now for, I don't know, going on four months straight. Like he has most of the songs memorized and um, yeah, just watching his joy. Like, I mean, frankly, it just made me cry. And I was so moved by it. And plus, the concert was absolutely incredible. And so having these experiences and watching other people react to the amazing nature of music is just is so moving, you know? I mean, it's the same way that, like, I always like to, like, when a band is playing or when, you know, someone's experiencing some some piece of art, 
uh, I always like to look around <laughs> because it's so fun to see other people's reactions um, to whether it's like, you know, a band doing really, really good or, you know, a band playing a song that they like. And you kind of just scan the room. You'll find a lot of, uh, you know, ha- either happy faces or people like in complete concentration or people that are being completely emotional. It, it runs the gamut. And I just I love that fact. So. Anyways, music, incredible, right? Uh, still living with my parents, still uh, still in the middle of uh, so much stuff. It feels like everything's happening at once. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, holidays and everything else. And oh, oh man. But amidst all this, I am, I'm, oh, man, I'm so excited because the next basically two months worth of shows are just with people who I've either pursued for a long time um, or have just been really, really incredible conversations. So basically, we're ending the year extremely, extremely strong. And um yeah, we're also going to be having the year-end podcast like we always do, where, uh, you know, me, my friend, Joey Cahill from 613 on Records, and Jeremy Bull, the vocalist of Touche Amore, and I should say guitarist as well, because he's basically doing a lot of guitar on <laughs> this uh, this record cycle, because, uh, you know, that's just what that's what they do. So, um, yeah, anyways, we're doing a year-end episode where we recap all of our favorite records and stuff like that, and it's always a really, really fun episode, so... The planning stages have begun on that because uh, yeah, uh, most of you probably don't know, but Joey has now moved from Southern California to Boston, so there's a lot of more, a uh, lot more logistics to cover. But we'll be doing that. So, anyways, back to Colt. Uh, yeah, like I said, I just I had to have him on because you know even though he doesn't have like this insanely rich history with independent music, you know he knows what's up with it. Um, but the like I said, the parallels are just so insanely interesting that I could not not bring this up to you people because I think a lot of people, you know, they may have experienced wrestling obviously between the ages of like, you know, seven and like 12. And then, you know, maybe they grow out of it or maybe, you know, they get more involved as, as they grow older. But, um, I just think this is something that should not get short shrift. You know, this is something that, uh, there's real work involved in this. There's artistry, um, there's acting, there's performing like these people are entertainers and they're killing themselves on a nightly basis in places around the country that uh, maybe don't get recognized in the same way that bands are playing right now as we speak in places that, uh, you know, there's like 10 people watching them. But uh, they're pouring their heart and soul out, and wrestling is the exact same way. So, anyways, here's my uh, discussion with Colt. I am so excited to bring it to you. And uh, like I said, go to coltmerch.com and pick up some stuff because he, he uh, yeah, all of his stuff is entertaining. You know, whether it's DVDs, whether it's awesome shirts, whatever it is. But I hope you become a fan of Colt Caban after this because uh, I can tell you for a fact that I am, I was, and I will continue to be. So, here's Colt, and I will talk to you uh, after the show's over. I mean, prior to your appearance on uh, WTF, I, I had heard your name just because, uh, you know, like I mentioned to you when we uh, hung out, whatever, a couple weeks ago, like we have many mutual friends within the context of, uh, you know, the punk and hardcore scene. But, it, you know, it, 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 the combination of you appearing on WTF and the fact that, you know, people like obviously your good friend CM Punk and other people saying that like, hey, Colt is like the real deal like if you want to really find out what wrestling is about like you know listen to his podcast kind of understand where he's coming from um but obviously since you've you know 
jumped into the world of podcasting and have done a variety of different things. Um, is it fun for you to have people jump into you at kind of different points of your life where it's like, oh, I've been a fan of you for you know 15 years, and then other people who are like, oh, I just discovered you last week or whatever. Is that, uh, is that fun for you? Yeah, you started already. I didn't even, I thought we were, that was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm seamless, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, but I didn't even, I was going to start it on my end. I didn't, but I did now. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, you know, like, and this has got to be for everyone where I assume that like, it's just like, I know, like, right. I'm probably the, the biggest fan of my own work or like, I'm the greatest historian to my own work. So, um, so I'm always just like, especially I, even with the podcast, it's like, I've been doing it for six years. And when people are like, Oh, I just started listening. It's like, how can you not be right. listening for uh, six years? I've been doing this. Right. Right. Like not, you don't know everything now from the first four years or, you know, and, and same with wrestling. So, uh, I, I understand like, like my role of like being like this weird gatekeeper to independent wrestling and, and like letting people into like understanding what it is and then going forth and finding your own people or what it is. And, uh, I guess that's what keeps me in check when I'm like, how come you don't know 2001 mid American wrestling, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you <laughs> right. know? So, uh, there's a little bit of me that was like, Oh yeah, l- listen, this kid is 19. There's no way he's going to know what you were doing when he was two. Right. Right. Well, no, that's, but it is, it is a good point because you do, uh, like you said, you're obviously so well, you know, well aware of your own work. Uh, but then you do have to. I think where people become, you know, douchey or terrible human beings is when they forget that voice. <laughs> you know, like when you forget that check, that balance of like, wait a minute, I can't like, you know, be this this egotistical person that's like, oh yeah, you don't you don't know me from this time, and it's like, well, you know, people people arrive at things at different times. Yeah, I call my, you know, like I, I'm I'm always self aware, and I think that's. I think that's maybe a little bit of, well, I don't know if it's, if I'd call it success, but like, uh, that, that's what keeps me down to earth. And I think that's why I have a nice, uh, and, and I don't even know whether like to call it, and you know, you can touch on this of like, do you call like following fans, friends, you know, like what is it really, uh, you know, like are people just subscribers to a podcast? I, I had the theory once where like, like I, I call like the idea of getting all these fans was like collecting baseball cards to me a little bit. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know? And it's like, I I understand that everyone's really human, human beings. And like, and it's the only way I'm able to make a living or to make money. But like, that's the only way to like categorize it is is like, I, I'm, I I need, and like I have them and and they're in my collection. And so now it's like, Oh, if you now don't like independent pro wrestling and now you like only WWE, it's like, okay, I've traded that baseball card or something. Right. Uh, so yeah, so like I, I think self, being self aware is a, a characteristic of myself that I think uh, I like will be one of my drawing powers, if you will, um, for a fan or, or someone who who likes me. Someone who gets me is the idea that I'm not trying to be this over the top character that wrestling has always presented. Is that I am I am trying to be just like you, someone who liked wrestling and now worked really 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 hard to do it and is now doing it and pretty good at it. Right, right. No, that's a that's a very important point, and that that is interesting. The idea of uh, you know wrestling around with a definition of a person that respects your work, because there is that uh, that notion. I mean, you know, obviously drawing the parallels within independent music as well, where it's just like you know, you, it's weird to refer to a person as a fan, you know, because you're just like 
that you know usually that brings up an image of like you know oh like i'm justin bieber or something like here's my fans my adoring public you know but then it's like you're like dude i'm just doing this random thing and the people that care about it like like you said that you i I think you hit it right in the head where it's like you want you just kind of want to call them friends because like even though you may not know them like there's a reason that they care about you well, wrestling is worse because it's based off of a con. You know, right. we have it's true. We have a word called, you know, Mark. That's what we call the wrestling fans. And it's pretty derogatory. And like, I almost stay away from calling it that kind of like it's the N word because I, I really dislike it. Um, and, uh, you know, because basically like, you know, a Mark was, you know, in the sh- like the short story is like in the carnival years ago, uh, you know, when somebody found someone who was a sucker uh, they would they would X their back, and so then all the carnies like, and this isn't wrestling. This is in the carnival itself. They would see the X in the back, and they call them over to their, hey, come over to my booth, come over to my booth, and so like they were telling the other people like who who were the suckers who would be engaged, and you could give their all their money to, and so wrestling is the same way. It's like a con, and all, you know, only in the last twenty years, if even that. Like we've started to shy away from that, and I always, from the very beginning, I've I've always kind of like disliked it. But I started in an era where, you know, the guys above me, you know, that I would learn from, were always like they hated their fans. And I know it's the same in music, you know, probably everywhere where guys are just like they hate them. But I always, you know, I always disliked that so much because I was a fan, and then I crossed over the barrier, and I, I didn't want. You know, like I, I always look at it like young 16 year old me, like how impressionable I was and how much just even a wrestler saying hi to me or seeing someone, on the, you know, seeing a wrestler somewhere or getting an autograph, like how much that weighs on me. And, and I always try to, again, being self-aware, I always try to remember the impression it had on me, the impression it had on somebody else. And so, like, yeah, the, the idea of uh, wrestling, wrestlers hating their fans, it started to change, but it's always like it's weird because it starts with a con. Right, right. No, I, I like that point. And this is we'll you know we'll, we'll we'll go through your life, but I obviously wanted to kind of pull this the the string of the idea of obviously why I think it would be so interesting for you to you know be on the show is the fact that once I became obviously more aware. I mean, I like every other you know. I mean, we're the same exact age. I'm you know thirty five. We're you know I know you're thirty six, and so. You know, we obviously the, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s in regards to, you know, wrestling and WWF was so was important to me. But then obviously, uh, you know, I got consumed by music. I didn't pay attention to wrestling as as much. But then once I started to become more aware of the independent wrestling scene, the parallels that I was able to notice and draw from the fact that you are involved in the same exact idea of what it is to be in a DIY punk band where it's like, you know, you're going to these, you know, uh, sometimes questionable venues. And granted, this was obviously like when you were trying to, you know, get your start, so to speak. But, uh, just or, just last week, I wrestled in front of 23 people <laughs> in, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a high school gym that sat uh, probably 5,000. So it's still <laughs> still happening, right? Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate that. But yeah, but, I, you know, I, since, since you obviously, uh, you know, directed it towards that, you know, kind of walk me through, like, you know, even when uh, just whatever, a typical sort of like schedule that you kept um, obviously when you were um, not to say that you're not on the grind now because you obviously clearly are um, but just that idea of the the parallels between the fact that you know here's a you know touring punk band that plays you know five shows in a week or whatever so you know kind of kind of walk me through like the schedule of what a touring wrestler looks like <laughs> yeah and and like I don't want to come on here and saying like like I'm not uh, a huge music fan and I, and I know that could be like a bummer right away to a lot of people but um, I under like 
because the guy I originally started with and you know toured as a wrestler with was CM Punk, uh, who you know directly from like the punk world, that was his world. Is like I have a I have a respect for the punk world and for like uh, the punk bands and like I understand it a little bit, you know, just from from his perspective and his, his point of view. Uh, and and I, and I like a lot of stuff now, like based off of that and like learning about the world and not. Um, turning my head to it. But when I was younger, right. I mean, you, you go and you get trained and then you try to get a booking. Uh, and then usually like your trainer will try to help you get booked. And he did originally. And then like, um, and, and for the independent wrestling world, it's probably, I don't know if it's as much like the, um, uh, like the punk rock world, but you know, like Friday, Saturdays and Sundays is when we can work. Cause that's when shows are, uh, because it takes a lot as opposed to maybe music where it's just a stage and an amplifier. And that's no way demeaning any, you know, the yeah. idea of setting up a show, but, um, you know, it's a 5,000 pound wrestling ring or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and you know, they're lugging it across, you know, someone's got to have a, you know, it's just a lot of lugging and a lot of iron and a lot of man work that goes into putting up a show. So they usually happen just during show days. So, um, like my, I guess my, uh, formative years, uh, developing, you know, like, like the first four years I was in college while I was wrestling basically, I guess part time. And, um, you'd go anywhere and because it's, it's not as easy to put up a show, uh, shows aren't happening. Like, let's say I was in college at Kalamazoo and I was so, in my summers, I'd be in Chicago where I'm from. Like, there's just not a show, you know, like I'm in Chicago now and, and you can go to any, you know, there's a comedy show and there's a rock show every single night of the week if you want to go to it or a punk show or whatever it might be. But just there's wrestling shows don't happen that often. So you have to go find them. And I would, we would travel, uh, you know, and every, every other Wednesday we'd go to Louisville, Kentucky. I was living in Kalamazoo and then I'd go to Milwaukee, you know, like a, a weekend could consist of, uh, St. Paul on a Friday, Milwaukee on a Saturday, Dayton, Ohio on a Sunday. And you do those drives and you got to make those hours. And then you also have to work out and you also have to not eat like an asshole. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but like those were, those were the, the weekends were like, you know, any, Indianapolis, Indiana, and then Pittsburgh, and then Cleveland, and then, you know, maybe Chicago, and then Kankakee, and then, you know, St. Louis. And so those were kind of um, the venues you'd go to. I, pl- I I've wrestled, I want to say I've played in. Uh, <laughs> hey, you play, I, technically you played. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, VF, you know, the big ones for us are VFW halls, armories, and high, and, um, and high schools, I think, would be like the, plays, the places where we wrestle a lot. And, um, uh, God, I got a lot of fun stories of like, just the idea where like, I didn't know I was like this guy in a DIY or, or like I was a DIY guy or I was in a, you know, in a band that I didn't know about, but like, I always loved. So like when I first started, I went to college after college, I, I did two years at a, at a school where I made, um, I was a teaching assistant. I made like a, like maybe $11,000 a year before taxes and like maybe I was making $4,000 a year during wrestling and then like got to a point where like I hated working and I think I could make enough doing wrestling. And so like when that switch made, like I loved going to those VFW halls because, uh, that's where I would always get like, you'd wrestle there and I was kind of respected too. Like I was respected in the wrestling world, but I was poor and I was trying to attempt to live on my own. So that's where you grab your napkins and your toilet paper. And that's where you grab, um, you know, your, your utensils, like, uh, you know, my, my forks and my knives. And I just remember like some of the guys still love the stories of me walking out of this one Cleveland middle school where I took a box of like over 200 rolls of new, of toilet paper. And it's weird. Cause I'm like the main event and they're like, Oh, what are you doing? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is like, 
This is great. This is what I need. I'm set. I'm set for three years. If I could just take this, like I drove it, I didn't fly it. So like, if I could just put this in my, in my trunk, I'm set for three years. And like, no one stopped me. Cause like, I kind of had this a little bit of prestige. So they're like, that's cold. He's yeah, I guess he's allowed to do that. Right. 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 Well, I think, I mean, to, you know, to your point, like the, the description of obviously, like you said, the venues and even though, um, you know, the, the schedule may differ, uh, in regards to, like you said, there's, you know, there's clearly there's more production uh, that's put into a wrestling show on any level, just because, like you said, you have a huge ring and that doesn't, you know, just show up automatically. But it's the it's the same idea where it's like the, there's people who are involved on a level that is outside of what most people would pay attention to, but just the sheer love of the sport or the sheer love of music, they, they're going to figure it out. You know, you're going to be like, yeah, you're going to find the local high school that will be like, hey, can you rent out this gym for like 200 bucks while we do this, you know, wrestling thing or whatever? So it's like the, you know, that to me, the parallels, like I said, are just like, it's so intertwined because uh, above all, it's just the passion that runs through. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be doing what you're doing if you ultimately didn't care about the sport so much i mean do you well first of all let me back it up you don't have to call it a sport I don't, I, well i was gonna say i was like is is that fair to call it a sport or do most people like frown upon that no i mean i appreciate you trying to be a sweetheart by calling it a sport <laughs> okay okay <Or laughs> but a, it's an event it's a show yeah a show okay a show got it um yeah yeah it's kind of funny you say that because that's where your brain goes i, I assume that's where the a musician's brain goes it's just like you go out to lunch and then you look at a place and you're like, Ooh, can I fit a ring in here? And like, that's all. And I know my, my comedian friends think the same thing is like, can we put a mic in here and can like there not be sound and would it work? It's a lot harder for wrestling though. Cause you need like a giant building But the number of buildings I've wrestled in with like low ceilings where you can't even stand on the top rope. And then like, it's kind of funny cause you're, um, you know, you're, you're sacrificing a good show for the ability to put on a show right. where in terms of like, you know, like you're limiting the performers because they can't jump and there's somewhere it's not even the top rope. You can't even go the second rope. Um, but you're like, fuck it. Like we found a place it's cheap. Uh, or, you know, they'll do it on the door and they'll keep concessions. So yeah, like we're going to do a show where you can, you can't even jump off the second rope, but too fucking bad because this is the only place we can run a show you know, and not lose all of our money. And so this is how we're going to do it. Right. Right. Um, and not, not like I, I'm trying to get into, uh, you know, the, uh, behind the curtain look in regards to like, you know, what pay is on these, these levels, but it's no, like, feel you know, free. but you know, it's like, uh, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll obviously draw it to bands where it's like, you know, when you're, you know, say there's a touring package of bands where it's like, you know, there's four bands on tour together and usually the opening band is getting anywhere between, you know, 50 to 150 bucks a night, roughly speaking on like a semi decent, you know, like they're playing in front of maybe 150, 200 people a night. Um, so I imagine it's like the, the, the pay is probably, uh, you know, whatever comparable where it's just like, you know, you're doing these weekends worth of dates and you're getting like, you know, whatever, 50 to maybe 200 bucks a night. If you are obviously a quote unquote headliner, you're the main event or whatever. Um, but then it's just like, yeah, you're just, you know, you, you're getting paid commiserate off the fact that it's like, well, hopefully there's, you know, 50 people here so I can get a cut of that door. Or are you getting like guarantees? Like how did that work? Uh, yeah, in, in the beginning, it was. What's kind of funny is I had I had really good. Um, you know, my trainers were kind of like established, so like they brought uh, like the first couple gigs I did, like I got like fifty bucks, and my hotel was taken care of, and our our trans was taken care of. That's a thing in in um, in wrestling that I don't know if it's done in um, in music is that we have a thing called trans where it's like you pay for our gas like no matter what, um, and that's pretty. Been, that's been like a steady for me in my whole career. 
for the most part, but there's some people who just give you, you know, give you a payoff. But yeah, so that first one, I was like 50 bucks. And then my second match, uh, my second match ever, third match ever, I wrestled King Kong Bundy, who was a very famous wrestler in the eighties. And I got like 75 bucks. And I, like, I, I, I remember the guy who booked me for the show, I offered to give him money. Cause I was just like, this is way too much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's so good. So I was like, can I, you know, like, and like, I think like as a, as an Uber fan, you know, I had always read that, like, you know, that there's agents and percentages. And I was just like, I like, can I give you money? And like hindsight's kind of funny. He was like, no. And I was like, man, like rock and Randy, like is so rich or like, he's so cool. He didn't want this like 25 bucks, which at that time, like 25 bucks would have changed my life, you know, but I got 75 bucks. So, right, right. Um, but then after that, yeah, it went down to 20 bucks a match. And, um, you know, like we, like, especially those ones where we'd go to the, and we'd wrestle in this barn in, uh, on the out, right outside of Louisville, Kentucky, in Clarksville, Indiana, it was like twenty bucks a match, and we come with a car full of guys, uh, four from Chicago, and so they would, you know, the promoter would give that car gas money, and that's how it works. But it's, uh, you know, I, I don't promote, but I'm always just like, I would never want to be a promoter because I always think about a comedy show. There's, you know, like four comedians and maybe a band. You pay them per band, but you you got to pay the wrestlers per wrestler, and sometimes you know if there's seven or eight matches you know, with tag teams or whatever, there's, there's 25 guys on a card and then there's a ring announcer and then there's a referee. And then there's, you know, there's just so many people and so many little, and those $20, like they add up, you know? Right. right. So, no, I didn't. That's, I mean, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it from, from that perspective too. Cause it's like, yeah, it's not like, it's not like refs are showing up for free. (laughs) Well, I mean, some are, you know, and some do. And, but like, a lot of wrestlers have tried to like, you know, we police ourselves and we always, you know, we try to tell these wrestlers who do come and work for free, like, Hey, don't work for free. You're, you're worth something. It's the same way. Like a lot of people, a lot of wrestlers will wrestle just for the opportunity to be on a card with somebody or for the opportunity, just the opportunity to get some ring time. And like, sadly, like it's changed a lot. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people, I, I assume in the music, like industry can like in 99 when i started independent wrestling like you, you didn't work for free and then somewhere like w- within there like where i became a guy who did get like paid no matter what there became a point where guys started working for free and so like luckily you know i don't know if when i started in 99 if i would have worked for free but i assume i would have because i just wanted to wrestle at that point yeah um, well you don't yeah and, and plus i mean you really you know you don't know better like you know it's the same like you know with 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 bands and and you know playing venues and stuff like that they have these things which i'm, I'm sure in some respects there is it's a like in the you know indie wrestling community where it's like pay to play shows so it's like you have maybe one or two uh bands that are well known and you know maybe nationally touring acts or whatever and then you have like maybe four or five local openers that essentially have to bu- like sell you know 30 to 50 tickets in order for them to play the show and then you know they're on the hook for those 30 to 40 tickets um so you know if they show up the night of the show and don't have the money for the promoter you know the whatever 200 to 500 bucks or whatever you know they have to pay that out of pocket you know if they didn't sell those tickets and stuff so it's the same uh you know i'm sure that there is uh well there's Sorry to cut you off. There's Please. a famous on the East Coast, uh, the ticket, the ticket seller battle royal got so famous that it became called the ticket seller battle royal, and and whoever sold the most tickets was the winner of the battle royal. Oh my god! I mean, it, yeah. it totally makes sense, especially in the context of wrestling, where it's just like, hey, you have the ability to control the outcome, like right before the match starts. So bring bring, bring the tickets. <laughs> And like, that's where you kind of like not weed out the suckers, but you're like, oh, this poor guy, 
just wants to be a winner in front of his friends and family, you know, like, because there's an art to it. And like, there is like a, a, a dissection or, and I'm sure it's in the same music, but like, of like, there's guys who just want to learn and just want to get good and don't care. And then those guys like who originally start and they're like, I want to win. Like, I'm not coming if I don't win. Right. And like, that's not what it's about. I, I'd imagine it'd be like, I don't know, like somebody on one of those ticket sellers, like they like they want to be in the sweet spot or they want to be like at eight o'clock when everyone is there or right. something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, you're, you're totally right. Um, and so, you know, c- kind of backing up, like just because I, I feel like obviously the pursuit of what you did with uh, with wrestling um, is very similar to the same idea that like when when bands get to that. Uh, point in their life where it's like they either choose one of two paths or they're either like oh well I'm still gonna do this band even though you know I'm broke like I just have a job to fill me in on between tours and whatever you know versus like obviously like you know going to school or doing you know finding a career or whatever um, you know you, I mean you obviously graduated college and like you you know you had it seemed like you were practical from that perspective but you know I'm sure when it came down to it the decision to you know do independent wrestling was probably met with a bunch of quizzical looks from your fam- your your friends and family in certain respects well like it was weird because i had that buffer of college and like you know i told my parents i didn't want to go to college i wanted to just do wrestling and they're like no you had to go to college and like you know like gratefully enough uh you know my parents uh paid for college and so like that was a luxury that i had and it's kind of you know I, i'm very um you know I, i'm very self-made after that if you will, like I never, I, I hate depending on anybody. So I had that like, uh, that four year buffer, if you will. And I, I thought just like, Oh, I'll do this. And then after college, I'll just go right to WWF, you know, like that's how it'll work. I'll have four years of, uh, right. uh, of all this experience. And then once college finished, I was like, Oh, that's, that's so far away if at all. But I, I was starting. And so this was, I graduated in 2001 or 2000, no, 2002. And I was making a little bit of money and that's like kind of the, the, the same thing where, you know, that I said like, okay, well I'll get a job that, and, um, there's a wrestler named Tracy Smothers who always says he has a job to support his wrestling habit. <laughs> and it's the great, it's the best quote. He says it all the time. Tracy's a little crazy. He's like in his mid fifties now and he delivers pizza to support his wrestling habit. Like he's still doing it. I love it. And yeah, he's the best. He's the best. And so I, like I could, my parents, you know, I had a, I had this business degree, and I could like I could go down. They they want like like Walgreens corporate was like right around my house growing up, and they kept up pushing me there. Or my mom did, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and like I could have went and got a real job, but um, you know, I I I wanted to find a job that I could wrestle, that I could have weekends off, and so the teaching assistant gig was perfect. It gave me um, health insurance. I had Saturday, you know, Saturdays and Sundays off and Fridays I'd get off by three and I had X amount, I, you know, I had like 18 sick days or whatever it was or, you know, or whatever, or 12 sick days and six personal days. And, and you better believe I used every single one of them, uh, to, you know, to go wrestling. And so, um, by the time I did that, uh, you know, I was 23 and I was making, I, I thought enough that I could stop that and I could wrestle. And so, I, you know, and I was kind of like in wrestling, I was, I was kind of high profile on the independent scene. So like my friends, you know, they saw that I would travel to Pittsburgh or I would get flown. You know, at that point I was even getting flown to London to, to wrestle on the show. You know, I didn't make a lot of money, but the idea that people were, tra- were flying me internationally. Um, and so, um, yeah, like I, everyone was just kind of like, if you can do this, like go for it. 
And I kind of had like, I just kind of had the idea of like, Oh, I, you know, I told myself like when I was 30 and if I had it quote unquote made it, I'll go back to like teaching school and get a teaching degree or whatever. So I kind of gave myself this pretty long time frame and like looking at it now at 36, like I thought that was like going to be like, that's in like a million years. So, right. <laughs> totally. you know, yeah. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to be this old fucking 30 year old going back to college. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I stopped, uh, teaching and right. I think it was, I needed to make $150 every week. That's kind of how I looked at it. And usually I do two to throw sh- two to three shows a week. So I kind of like, if I can get a hundred dollars or I'm sorry, I, I I need to do eight shows and I need to make $150 each show. So I, I, I try to make a hundred dollars to wrestle and I try to do $50 in merchandise. And you know, if I couldn't get a hundred, it'd be 75 and 75. And like, I remember, you know, um, you know, selling, we would sell VHS tapes and, um, I would print out, uh, you know, I'd hook up at Kinko's, I think it was right. Oh. Like, everyone, like everyone probably does. Dude, I, I, it's so funny. Like you, you know, I, I'm sure we could talk for, you know, two hours and you can, you know, tell me these stories and you can name the same things that I was just like, Oh yeah. Hook up at Kinko's. Of course you went at midnight and printed off all your stuff. Like, you know, same thing as like, Oh, we had our demo tape and we needed cover. So where do we go? A friend at Kinko's hooked us up. But anyways, continue. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I had a, I had a friend at, I had a hook up at Blockbuster. Oh, Nice. And he would give me the empty because they would set they would throw out the empty VHS shells. Right, right. The hard, the hard, the hard ones. So like, yeah. So you just and then um, you know I used my parents' Costco card uh, to get like VHS tapes were like ah, I think like twelve for eight dollars or something like that. You know, right. And so that's how I was churning out Best of Cold Cabana Volume One through Three. And you know, I don't know. Like, I just sold a lot of stuff. I remember I used to sell the Macho Man. Um, I, I used to, I, I used to sell the Macho Man CD, a bootleg version of the Macho Man CD. He had a rap album. Right. I told you, yeah, of course I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I would sell the, the China, uh, porn. She did a porn. <laughs> Dude, that's so good. You were just like this. You were this, uh, like, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to compare it to shows where it's like you would have people, like, you'd have obviously the band selling merch, but then usually there's, you know, it, it's more rare now, but you would have these, like, distro tables where it's like, you know, they had a bunch of CDs or vinyl from, you know, a variety of different bands. So it's, it's essentially like a mini shopping mall for kids to go up to. So, like, you were this walking, traveling, you know, distro of, like, oh, hey, here's my stuff, but then I also got all this other stuff. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it was a garage sale, and so like, totally. like I treated it as a garage sale. And what's great was like sometimes those people would be charged for tables because I'm a wrestler and I was kind of highly respected. Like I just got the table, and like the, the thing that literally uh, that I was able to survive with, and then I, I ended up making a lot of my money on was I would I would go down and I would I would wrestle in Tijuana for like fifty bucks or whatever it was. And I would buy these masks off the streets. And at this time, like, you know, it, it was very hard to, like, get this. And there wasn't a lot of, like, vendors at the show. So I would buy rest- these cheap wrestling masks for 2 bucks each. And I'd sell them for 10 to 15 bucks at the show. And they would fly, man. Because, like, kids, everyone would want to buy them. So I was literally, like, I was a wrestler. But, like, to be honest, I was a, I was a mask salesman. <laughs> Sorry for this break in the action because I know you're excited about hearing more about Colt's story. But uh, let me talk to you about something important. And that, uh, that important thing is food, right? So some of us are so incredibly busy. Actually, some of us, how about all of us are so incredibly busy that uh, we don't have the time to eat good food, you know? Like we just, uh, we, we settle for whatever's in front of us. And you got to find the time to do it, right? You got to go to the grocery store. You got to figure out the portions. It all adds up. And then 
it just makes your head hurt and you're just like, I don't know. Let me just have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich again. Let me tell you about the savior that will be your favorite company. It's called Sunbasket. So Sunbasket, what they do is they deliver delicious, healthy recipes and fresh ingredients right to your doorstep. You can prepare each meal in just 30 minutes or less, and it's healthy cooking made super, super easy. You'll get organic, non-GMO ingredients from the best farms, and everything is seasonal and sustainably sourced. I was going to trip over that because like, sis, uh, anyways, but they offer paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian, options and it's created by award-winning chef and it's approved by nutritionists so you know you're going to get the best stuff that's going into your body and each meal comes with a pre-measured fresh ingredient and easy to follow instructions directions whatever you like to call it but basically it comes with a beautiful card walks you through it i've done this with my wife it's super fun and it's delicious i've every meal that i've tried from them has been just unbelievable like chilequiles have you ever had a chilequile yeah, well, I hadn't up until they sent it to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So please go to sunbasket.com slash words today, and you'll get your th- first three meals for free. That's sunbasket.com slash words to get three healthy, easy to prepare meals for free. Sunbasket.com slash words. Like seriously, I've taken you out to dinner. Just take me up on the offer, okay? Sunbasket, amazing stuff, and it'll make your life better. Now here is my discussion with Colt. <laughs> well, well, and so, something that, that I was going to bring up a little bit later, but I think is apropos, is the um, you know you 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 obviously are a very gregarious and friendly person, and like anybody that pays attention to you, either obviously from wrestling or your podcast, you know, can kind of uh, glean that pretty quickly. Um, and so, obviously, that seems like that has always been who you are as a person. Like, were you always kind of like you know looking to be, and not in a bad way, but like the center of attention, like you know, sort of the the goofball in class, or like were you more kind of reserved? And then, obviously, wrestling kind of you know pulled this other side of you. Oh, wrestling! De- wrestling definitely took like brought a lot out of me. I mean, I was a goofball in class, and I was, I guess, I'd say outgoing. And like, I had this great um, crew of, of friends in high school that I'm still friends with, and we were just, I mean. God, I don't even know what we were like. We were just, we weren't outcasts. Cause like, I mean, I guess we went to parties and stuff, but we were just always like known as like this weird outcast group that could get along with everyone, but we were always just doing weird stuff. And it was like, we were always based, like we were always just, I don't know. We were a bunch of weirdos, but like we weren't. So, <laughs> but we were always making fun of each other and we were always laughing. I guess everyone kind of has this crew, but, um, and I, th- I thought, you know, that kind of formed me a lot to who I was. But when I got in wrestling, um, yeah, like I, I saw my trainers and I saw like the idea of just um, I don't know, my, my trainers, A. Steele and Danny Dominion, they were they were just they were both real big goofballs. And I don't know if wrestling had brought that out of them or if they just were in general. But um, just being around those guys in my formative years really, really like, you know, because I went to wrestling school and I was very like. I was very shy, not shy, but like, you know, like I wanted this so bad. So I was, I wasn't going to be an asshole. I wasn't going to be a goof off. I, I had, my mouth was shut. My ears were open. I was just ready to learn. I just, I wanted to learn everything and I was going to be a fly on the wall, but they were like, no, this is a place where we can just be total fucking idiots. So once that was allowed and encouraged, like I, I, it's kind of like they were teaching me about wrestling and they said like, Hey, part of wrestling is being a fucking idiot and just being a goofball. And so like, I totally, I was like, yep, well, I, all I want to be is a wrestler. So I guess I have to be that. And uh, that brought a lot out of me. 
Right. That's cool. Well, I, I like that because then it's like it gives you the ability and license to, you know, be essentially obviously what you are, which is an entertainer. Because like I know I, I many people, uh, you know, view wrestling as obviously this. I mean, it, it's not as maligned as it once was where it's like, you know, whatever. I mean, if just from my outside observation that it's like, you know, whatever in the, you know, mid to late 2000s where a lot of people were just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's that weird stuff that I was into as a kid. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the wrestlers of any level are entertainers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're showmen. I'm a personality. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Um, and did you did you find like as you did you find like you had to kind of like as obviously learn how to be that and kind of embody this like larger than life person? Yeah, I, you know, I, and I'll tell kids that like I'll do seminars and stuff and I'll tell people like. Yeah, you, you got it when you order, at, you know, when you go to order food, like you kind of got to do a little promo and you got to like, you got to fuck with people and you got to be a bullshitter. Right. And so like, and that's kind of where that con aspect comes in a little bit because you're like, you're putting on this fake, you know, shtick to be able to like get into this character that you are. And like I did, I, I felt myself doing a lot of that, but I was having fun with it. But like at the end of the day. I knew that's not, you know, going back to my parents that 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 person isn't who I was. But I feel after doing that long enough, you know, it it formed a a personality. But, yeah, you know, a lot of like uh, of just fucking around with people, I think, which is sad because, you know, I look back at it. It's like, God, I probably treated a lot of people like shit. And like I never you know, I never hurt anybody, but I, I was playing a character in real life. Like the whole the whole world was my was my wrestling vignette if you will right and uh, but but people but people didn't know that (laughs) people had no clue right no clue right that's amazing yeah um so then obviously like uh, you know as you were uh kind of progressing like you were mentioning earlier in regards to the fact that you were getting flown over to london and stuff like that um when did you kind of like notice yourself that you were getting some momentum within uh you know the scene that you were a part of and like did it did it feel like did you recognize it or was it just one of those things you only recognized it retroactively um, I, I think London was one because, uh, I remember somebody called me up and they're just like, uh, and, and I, and this is why I attribute like my whole career to the internet, but somebody, somebody got my number, a promoter in London. It was, I know it was a big deal at that point. And they were just like, a lot of people have been requesting you and punk because they've seen these VH, VHS tapes from a promotion called IWA mid South. And that's the one that we did in the barn right outside of Louisville. And that was the first time where like I put it together where I was like, this is so crazy that, our stuff is getting out there and the only way it's not like there was TV out there. And so, yeah, it was through VHS, but the only way that these people could say, Hey, check out this VHS tape is through people talking on the internet, you know? And so, um, and and then there was a a promotion that I still wrestle for to this day called ring of honor that started up that like kind of, they were the first one, like, you know, we did a lot of like regional stuff. Like we'd wrestle and, you know, in the, in before WWF took over and became national, uh, wrestling was territorial. So everyone had their own territory. Like there was a promotion in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, um, you know, Wisconsin territory. There was a promotion in Vegas promotion in, you know, San Francisco, a, a territory in, in LA. And like, you didn't like, you didn't tread on any of those. Like those were the guys making money. And then everyone was, you know, TV was, uh, wasn't national. And then with cable and Vince McMahon, he kind of took it all over. So with the Indies, that's kind of how it works too. And there's a promotion called ring of honor and they, they, would only use the top guys from the top non-contracted guys from everywhere. And, you know, very early on punk and I were asked to, to do that. And so that was kind of like, Oh, we're the Midwest guys. We're the guys who have been traveling. 
and, and that's all due to like traveling. We just traveled our ass off and like, you know, it's the same way. Like I'm sure there were zines and stuff like, you know, there was newsletters of like results. And also there was a magazine called the pro wrestling illustrated that was actually in newsstands at that point. And like, you would see results and like uh, my goal and a lot of our, and some of the guys goals was like, I want people to read it and be like, wait, Cole Cabana was in Pittsburgh, but wait, Cole Cabana was in Ohio. And then Cole Cabana was in, you know, uh, like Minneapolis, like for them, for their minds to be blown. And I think like as a fan, like I'd always be like, you know, if someone was like all over the place, you'd be like, Oh, that guy's a star. He's going all over the place. And so like, uh, it was, you know, like I meant to do that. And like, it kind of, I didn't know if it would work, but like that was the plan. And then slowly, but surely like it kind of worked. Right, right. No, I, I, I like, I like that trajectory where it's like, you know, you, you, you had whether or not it was like a real plan. You're like, no, I think this makes sense. Like, you know, you had this, 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 uh, theoretical goal of, of like obviously being everywhere at all at once. And then you're like, oh, that, that paid off unintentionally. Yeah. I always do like, I only, I only do stuff that I would like as a fan or that like makes sense to me as a person. And so like, right. My podcast is just cause like I, I always, I didn't do it like with a plan, but I always thought that that's what, like if I was a wrestling fan, like that's what I would want to listen to. And like the comedy stuff that I do in the ring, like that's because like, if I was a fan, like I'd probably be bored with this, just like regular stupid wrestling stuff. Like I want to be entertained. Right. And so like, that's why I do it. And so uh, as a, re- you know, as a wrestler, I was like, well, I don't want to just stick in one place like, it just seems like that's what, like, a, a scrub would do. Like, I think, like, if I was a fan and I was following someone's career, like, I would be all about somebody who would just go all over the place. And it's easier to be a fan and notice someone, and it's a lot harder right. uh, to execute for, it right on your end. Yeah, to get in that car and to do those miles. Right. But I like, but I, like I, thought, I thought that was part of I thought that's how you did it. Right. I like how, I, I really like the saying of, of put in those miles, because that, that, that's, I mean, honestly, that's not something that, like, you know, like, that is part of the vernacular within the, you know, music industry or whatever. It's like, you know, usually it's just like, you know, hit the road, go on the road or whatever, but put those miles is the exact same thing. I just love it. Yeah, you can take it. Yeah, cool. Feel free to use it. Sounds good. Also, feel feel free to sell bootleg China porn. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the I think the internet may have decimated that market. <laughs> yeah, we call it the um, we call it the gimmick table. What did you do? do you guys when you have the merch? It's like the I, I guess like I said, we call it maybe like a distro table where it's like it's a per, it's a local person that like maybe just has you know they're like doing wholesale and CDs and stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just funny distro, but, um, the, uh, you know, obviously most people know wrestling via, you know, the WWF and WWE. Um, but it's one of those things where, uh, the, you know, I, I presume most people that obviously are super involved in wrestling, um, you know, view the WWF or WWE, sorry. Cause I'll always recall it, call it as such. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Where people look at that as like obviously the the you know the pinnacle of success, but at the same time that it's like I'd probably equate it to the same way that bands look at major labels, where it's like oh yeah, if I'm on like Capital or Atlantic, like you know, like yeah, that's cool, but then like I want to be like in the real shit, you know, like I want to be on the you know whatever, I want to be successful on my own terms and not sell out to the man. Like I'm sure there's a lot of kind of push and pull between like obviously the you know WWE and then not only everything as it stands now, but like you know, once independent wrestling started to become more of a thing. Yeah. I, you know, the sad thing is, is that I don't think anyone ever has been like, I want to do it on the, like, I just want to be an independent wrestler. <laughs> like it was always, everyone just goes for that. Cause that's what we just all 
grew up on and maybe it's starting to change a little bit and like I, I know that's kind of been my mantra but that was my mantra after I got fired by the WWE and I realized I didn't like it there and, and you know what I'm saying so and, and not everyone and I feel it's kind of the same like a lot of people are offering especially now like people are offering up these WWE contracts to a lot of guys because you know uh, quote unquote indie wrestling has kind of become popular and um you know it's uh it's ramon's shirts and hot topic kind of shit you know or whatever it is uh you know like they have this new promotion nxt where like they're essentially took the independent model and just put it on uh you know on on their network so um in in that way like uh i I don't know if it's the same but i i always say it's um it's like snl for comedy if you will oh like uh right right it's like yeah, I mean, I, I could see where it's just like that. I mean, especially when you do come up, you know, through an independent market where it's like, you know, because obviously, whatever, you could look at, uh, you know, just like a pop band or whatever, that their only goal is to be like the biggest thing ever and be like commercially successful. They're going to, you know, they're not interested in, you know, grinding it out. And I mean, they're interested in working hard in some respects, but not mm-hmm. in the sense of like, you know, getting on the road or whatever and doing all that. Um, but I'm sure it's like, you know, the same the same way where it's like people who are in independent comedy, like, yeah, they would eventually obviously like to be on Saturday Night Live, but they're like, you know, I got to put in the time. I got to get the chops. I got to, you know, be uh, be competent before I throw myself into that stage. And the way I always saw it is like, listen, there's because there's people who are like, well, if you're not in the WWE, you're not a real wrestler, you know, and that's sadly like and then the media, too. It's like, you know, these guys, all, of course, they get all the, the notoriety and the fame or whatnot, and deservedly so to an extent. But it's just like, I'm always just like, you know, to, to fans who come at me hard, it's just like, well, you know, these guys on SNL, like people not doing SNL, like, would you not consider that comedy? Would you not consider, you know, you know like, uh, and that's why, like, I'm such an, uh, you know, I'm such an all comedy fan. And uh, it's, and it only goes to, the, because of the, my appreciation for, of, for what I do and, and the realization of like, oh, like that's, they're, you know, they, those guys are going through the same thing and they found their own way and they found their own niche. Uh, and and the same thing, of course, goes for for punk music. But like I'm more, you know, I I I more realize and recognize it because of my fandom for comedy is that like the parallels to it. And um, so yeah, so so you know, it's just and I think it's the internet. And so like a a big thing that I've always said like that is that growing up with you wanted to be a TV wrestler. Like that was the goal to be a TV wrestler. And the only way to do it really was WWF or WWE. And you got in wrestling school and like, everyone was like, how do I get on TV? Like, that's how I become a star. That's how I make money. How do I get on TV? And that's always the question. Like, and some people would even like, you know, when I got signed to the WWE, I took a pay cut because I was like, that's how I'm going to get on TV. And this was back in 2007. And I think it's changing to where it's like now it's not people are going to come up and they're not going to say, how do I get on TV? They're going to say, how do I get on the Internet? And I don't want to be a TV wrestler like I want to be an Internet wrestler. And um, and I think that's and the Internet is to everyone like WWE has a lock on television, uh, but they don't have, you know, nobody has a lock on the Internet. And so that's kind of where like that can become a way where we can become independent. We could become independent wrestlers. We can sell our own stuff online and we can. Uh, you know, we can have our own YouTube channels and Twitter lines or whatever it is. And we have the same amount of communication uh, as the WWE does or, you know, or whoever else is on television, which, you know, there's a couple guys on television, but they don't have the same. It's just like, you know, WWE is Disney. Like they have totally they're an, they're an institution. Yep. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And so when you, uh, you know, kind of reflecting on your obviously experience with the WWE, like you said, you know, you took a pay cut because obviously you're just like, well, this is obviously what I need to do in order to get myself to a wider audience, whatever, you know, honestly, in the same you know, the same way that bands obviously feel like they need a larger stage to go on because, oh, if I sign to a major label, I'll get radio promo and whatever, all the other things that you are, you know, essentially promised. Um, do you, do you, I mean, I know you've obviously publicly spoken about uh, a lot of things with the WWE and, you know, pros and cons within that. Um, but, you know, did you, I, I guess, do you reflect on that experience as being like, oh, that was, that was like ultimately good for me that I went through that, even though it may have been crappy at the time or whatever? Or do you kind of. Yeah. It was great for me. I mean, it. it I, I wouldn't have what I have now, which is which is unbelievable freedom and success. Like, and it's like uh, it's that storyline. And I tell not that I tell people all the time, but like you, you got to go, you got to go down in order to go up. So you know, I needed that dip. Like I needed that. I needed that failure and almost public failure because like when I got signed, like everyone was like, yeah, this is a no brainer. Colton Entertainer. You know, he's uh, he's you know, whatever he's, he's odd easily enough to be able to at least make some kind of dent on their television show. And like, I had five matches and I lost all of them with under two minutes and I had two battle Royals and I was thrown out at first. And I was like, I was like known as the worst WWE wrestler of all time. There was even a thing on Reddit where somebody did the analytics of it. And I am the worst wrestler of all time. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah, like the most matches and loss ratio. Like I was like, Oh, and seven or something like that, you know? And, and they, like at least some people got a win or they, they got fired after a couple matches or, you know, like they lost like one or two and they're like, ah, oh, let's get rid of this guy. But like, I had a, I had a good handful of matches where I was just losing them all. <laughs> right. They're like, let's keep this guy around. He's, he's, I mean, he's clearly the one that we can throw out first or pin the quickest. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, so it just gave me like a real, you know, I had a trajectory. I had a, a, a line, like, you know, I had a through line and like, luckily comedy was there for me because there's guys that this has happened to before and they get, um, and the, the community, the wrestling community, like they make fun of them hard and they kind of ostracize them from wrestling. There's a couple of guys that this happened to, and they've basically been thrown out of wrestling, but I came to it really fast with, with comedy and I made fun of myself before anyone else could. And like, it was depressing. Don't get me wrong. But I, even I was able to take myself out of the situation to realize like how crazy and, and, and almost funny it was like sad, but funny. And so I hit it hard and I, I made fun of my Scotty Goldman name and I, and, and that they gave me and I hit the Jewish jokes hard and I told everyone how awful I was, you know, and like, right. and, um, and that was like, luckily I was able to combat that. And luckily then like, you know, I was able to find a platform and people that like appreciated that and became my fans up because of it. And then like watched my wrestling or listen to what I had to say. And was like, this guy's talented. And like, that's slowly but surely how I collected those baseball cards. Um, and then, you know, and, and, and got real, real true fans as opposed to like, you know, quote unquote marks or these guys that I was conning into liking me. So they, you know, to buy a ticket, but like people that really wanted to support me. And I think like that was like, and I, I'm not saying like I was the first to this, but like, I really understood that I needed supporters and not just like marks, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that's what that comes from the same idea of music and punk rock is I need people who uh, who support me, who like who are really, really rooting for me. And I was so low in my career is like I needed these people to root for me and to and to tell their friends. And I think that's how like 
the second half of my career and like the really the career that saved me like came around is because of that punk rock idea that diy idea that i i was never and i you know i, I think i told you that it's like I, I started with with cm punk in wrestling who is known as the punk rock kid and i was like just a jewish kid from the suburbs from a night you know from like a middle to upper class house or whatever whatever it might be and like it's so weird that like we totally switched like he became the corporate dude and i became this uh this punk rock you know pro wrestler yeah no that's really really cool i like that uh that mentality that you can approach it like that um and then luckily luckily, yeah yeah. luckily it's true yeah that i'm that i'm that i that you know i'm I'm not bragging that like i have an open mind but like that I was, I, you know, because it's been beaten in me for so long that like these are the fans we don't really respect them, and I and luckily like I was like I was able to see it in a different way. Oh, for sure. Um, and so, like obviously, like you mentioned, you know, the fact that uh, you were able to, you know, cause a lot of people, obviously, you know, many people have watched the movie, the wrestler and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, notice the, the, the context where it's like, you know, there, there is a, a very, uh, not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but a lot of people do notice the fact that it's like, Oh, this is, this is a tough gig to obviously sustain yourself and hold interest and everything else. Like, especially when you've been kind of, you know, you've been in the indie circuit, you've tried, you know, WWE and then it didn't work out for one reason or another. Um, and so, you know, you, but you obviously have transitioned into, you know, multiple, like, like we were talking about earlier, you're an entertainer at this point where it's like, obviously, yes, you're known as a wrestler and you do that as your, your primary thing, but like, you know, whatever you obviously are a podcast host and you live in the podcast community. So it's like, now you live in all these weird worlds and subcultures where it's like, yeah, you're a part of the independent comedy community in some respects as well. Cause obviously you were just over in, you know, in for six weeks or whatever, um, is it is it fun for you to obviously be able to I guess you know spread your wings and do all these different things? Yeah, you know, well, so I had all my eggs in the in the WWE basket. Uh, you know, I, I, I doubled down. I you know I I left my home. I moved to where they wanted me to move. I I, I you know I I let go of the ColtCabana.com domain. You know, I was all in on whatever they wanted me to do, and like I had no control of it. And uh, you know, when they fired me, I was just like like it was like starting over and I realized that a, I realized that like I could never let that happen to me again where, where I didn't have control of like whether I was getting fired or not, you know, and and B like I only had one basket. So the idea was like, I needed like six or seven baskets uh, of avenues or ventures or whatever it might be that like, if one thing goes, goes wrong, then I'm able, you know, like then life's not over and I don't have to start over again. Then I could just jump into other things. And that's kind of like, Right. I, you know, and that's not the reason, like I started a podcast, like obviously, I, but you know, I found avenues and ventures and baskets of things that I love doing. And I love being a part of it. So it's all based around wrestling. Cause that's what I know the most, but yeah, you know, like I, I started doing these documentary series. I started doing a YouTube show. I started getting into independent comedy. I started touring a, a comedy wrestling show. I started doing some stand up. Uh, I'd open for Mick Foley doing wrestling comedy. I started the podcast. I was still wrestling. Uh, I did. I refused. A lot of people offered me contracts uh, for their wrestling companies, and I refused. And I still refuse to this day. Like I don't want to be a contracted wrestler. Like I don't think that you can. You know, like they were. These guys are offering contracts for less than a janitor makes. And I'm not harping on a janitor, but I'm just saying. Like if you look in the context of it it's just ridiculous that that you know they want us to kill ourselves and then they want us to to put you know they want us to like write down for these contracts that just are are shit money so 
Yeah, so, like oh, I, to, sorry to interrupt, but I just I want to no. make sure I want to make sure I understand in context because I mean I presume I'm presuming the fact like when you get presented a contract from you know said said promotion company organization whatever you are obviously only allowed to wrestle at their events and kind of you are at their beck and call so to speak where it's like you're right okay and so basically you know that can mean anywhere between whatever you know thirty to a hundred matches within a year you have no idea but you are. You're locked in at a salary because obviously, you know, they want to, you know, get you for a prolonged period of time. Or they'll, you know, there's some companies that are like, well, you know, this doesn't mean anything. You know, we, we just want to make sure. But it's just like they, at any time, they can change their mind. And I don't want that to be able to happen to me. And right. And some companies do it, like, are, are doing it where you can only wrestle, right, 30 shows or whatever. And I love, like, I like this week, right? I, you know, I did a show for, it was like 1100 people in Pittsburgh. And then, like I said, that was on Friday. And then on Sunday I wrestled in front of 23 and like each were both amazing for different reasons. Right. But at this point in my career, like I love the idea of doing those shows for nobody or, you know, like I got just as many stories out of it as I did. The, you know, I probably got more stories out of the Sunday show than I did out of the Friday show. And that's kind of like, at a point, like what I'm doing it for, like these memories, like the, the idea of this crazy life that I'm living, I'm, I still wanted to do it. And I still like, I also want to be like, this is what independent wrestlers do. We eat shit. And so, I mean, it's nice that like, I've been able to, you know, make a couple of bucks where it's like, I'm not dying now, but I still like, I, I live the life. Like I want to live that life. Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting because I, I do think that, uh, I mean, again, the parallels between that and music where it's like ultimately people that feel, you know, because uh, everybody uses the, you know, one band as like the bastion of success within independent music. And that's like, you know, Fugazi. Everyone always obviously looks at a band like Fugazi, who's from Washington, D.C. And like, you know, they played $5 shows, were extremely successful. They had no merch. Like, you know, they basically throw out all the rule books in regards to, uh, you know, independent music and touring and stuff like that. And so, uh, you you know, every band, of course, likes to model themselves after that, but then they quickly realize, like, oh, there's only one band that could, you know, do that. But the independent mindedness of what you're talking about, where ultimately people want to be in control in whatever respect of their own destiny, you know, and like when you sign off a con- on a contract and you kind of give that freedom over to somebody else, that's when you feel like, oh, I can't be, I can't do this be- because you're telling me I can't do this. Mm. And, and they have the right. They have the right to take it from you at any time. Yeah. Even though they're like, no, like we're cool, and it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're like, but I want to be able to make the decisions for myself. I don't want you. Yeah. I want someone else making the decisions. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that the um, you know the idea that obviously once a person kind of attaches themselves to a subculture and does it, um, you know, because realistically, wrestling is something that you're you know you're supposed to be in for a. Uh, a, a, a determined amount of time, especially when you are a fan, you know, it's like, Oh, you're supposed to like it as a kid. And then maybe as you grow up and have, you know, sons or daughters, like, you know, maybe you'll get into it then, but like, you know, you're, you're pot committed to this. Um, you know, what obviously still keeps your, I guess, fire going from that perspective, the fact that you do have control over your own destiny, or is it just the fact that, like you said, you're using this as a way to collect, uh, you know, stories and, uh, collect memories in your, uh, your backpack, so to speak. Yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, you know, I always say that, like, I, you know, I was obsessed with professional wrestling as a kid. And as, you know, as we got 12 and 13, people start, you know, the, the guys that liked wrestling, then they started liking girls. And for some reason, you know, I was still obsessed with wrestling and everyone kind of went away from it. And then all of a sudden it was my, like, I was the only one in my school. Like, I, had, I still had my friends, but nobody liked wrestling. And so no one wanted to talk wrestling. No one wanted to be obsessed about it as much as I was. And so, like, obviously that's, you know, 
why I liked it, you know, from 13 to 18. And then I got into it. And then when I started training, like you start appreciating it for a whole different reason when you become a performer as opposed to a fan. And now like, you know, honestly, uh, you know, I, I don't watch uh, the WWE as much, if at all, especially since I'm in a lawsuit where they're coming after me. Um, that's the main reason. Right. But, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes I ask myself, like, um, like, man, am I am I a fan? You know, like, is it just because I'm uh, this is my livelihood and I've been doing this? You know, I've been I think I've been almost now wrestling, you know, more years than I haven't been wrestling in my life. And so. Um, you know, I, I don't know if like, uh, if I'm only doing this cause it's my job. Uh, but like, I, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm out there performing, like I, I fucking, like I feel alive. I still love it. It's so much fun. And, you know, maybe there is something else out there, but like I found this and like, I think as I'm like diving in and I think I totally forgot, I think I'm heading on the right direction of what you're talking about. Right. No, you totally are. You're good. Yeah, I think I might have forgot what I was talking about, but <laughs> that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, like you know, like I and I do love comedy, uh, and I and I you know when I was in Edinburgh, we did a show you know every single night for twenty five straight nights where we would watch bad wrestling and we would we would improv over it. Not improv, we would kind of do the commentary. And me and a me and a comedian, Brendan Burns. And I do the same with a comedian named Marty DeRosa here in the States. But when I'm over in Edinburgh, I do it with Brendan Burns and we have a guest every night. And like, uh, I don't know, I just lived for the idea. Like, I, I, I still got the same satisfaction that I did in the ring. So I, I think it's the idea that um, it's this performance that I, that, I really, that I really love doing and I like performing. And uh, I like making jokes. Like, I, I, I think I like having people laugh. And I found like I'm best at it in a wrestling ring because I'm, I'm pretty skilled at the wrestling part. So like, that's where I'm best to, you know, to, to make people laugh. And so as long as I can kind of do that, and then once I can't wrestle, I'll still be able to be in the wrestling world, making people laugh, you know, through the podcast and all that stuff. And I think like just wrestling is the genre that's allowed me to be the most comfortable, probably because that it was the one thing I was super obsessed with the most as a kid. I think it all kind of has to do like, right. We, we kind of form ourselves and who we are like in those younger years. And I think I was just, it was just so wrestling heavy for some reason um, that, that that's what stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like that because ultimately it's, uh, it's a matter of obsession. Like this, the same thing can be said obviously about music, about anything that is obviously bubbling beneath the surface of what people define as mainstream. And I think ultimately that's the only thing that will guide people, you know, that get into this. It's like, you just have to, regardless of whether or not, you know, you decide to do this as a, uh, for a living or whatever, like as long as you have that undercurrent of like, I really, I'm obsessed with this thing. Like, you know, the same way, like you said, you were obviously paying attention to, you know, every single wrestler and every single, you know, mover and shaker within that, that community. Uh, the same thing could be said, obviously people paying attention to record labels and being like, Oh, I'm going to listen to the new band on this record label because I love it. Um, that should be your guiding light, you know? And I, I think that's what shines through in what you do. And all you're doing now is just an evolution of that passion. You know, you can just take it in different directions. Oh man, like when God, when ESPN started playing global wrestling after school, you know, it was just like, and it was like, and I think I knew that's, I think I knew that's when like, it didn't matter about WWE and like, maybe that's what forms me as an independent wrestler because like Windy City Pro Wrestling was on at 6am on channel 62 and like I'd, I'd set my VHS for it. it's just like any wrestling 
like fuck and like i think like even the weirder the wrestling was like the cooler it was you know right and what was that like for on television for for punk or hardcore was like what was like what seeped through well i think a lot of people especially that are like around our age what's like yeah. when uh you know mtv was doing that that video program called 120 minutes um, you know, that was basically like a late night video show from like 11 at night to like one in the morning. And they were showing stuff that could, they couldn't play during, you know, mainstream. So it was like, you know, they were playing whatever, some, you know, punk bands, like whatever, no effects and lag wagon and all that stuff. But then they were playing like rage against the machine. And, you know, when the whole grunge scene was exploding, they were playing bands that were, you know, weren't Pearl jam and Allison chains on there. So I think but it, that, yeah, that was how everyone like found their, and then you like, okay, I, I got a tip. I got three minutes of it. Now I got to like find everything about this guy. Right. Or these totally, or it's like, yeah. or in honestly, in a, in a very similar fashion to your VHS tapes of like the best of Cole Cabana, a lot of people really identified with like uh, compilations. So it's like, you know, you'd buy, you get a really low price CD for like four or five bucks that you'd buy at a record store that had, you know, 20 songs on it. And that would be kind of like you said, your gateway where it's like, you get a little taste where it's like, Oh, this band is cool. Like I need to know more about them. So it's like, yeah, same thing where it's just like, and like you said <laughs> with, with the, the global wrestling or like the weirder, the better, it's like sometimes that's what you you found yourself listening to where it's like oh man the heavier the better like yeah the more out there like i'm i i want to know more about this i don't know why but i want to know more right yeah tape trading was a big thing in in wrestling like that was a big community was tape trading so like everyone would get 12 tapes and then everyone would dub them and then you send them out to the 11 people and then all of a sudden you know for like you bought one but then for, you know, for the price of one and shipping, then you all of a sudden you got all like 12, like crazy different wrestling, um, things from, from different places. Right. And the first, and the, people, the first people would be recording, sorry, but people would be recording those from like their local broadcasts or whatever. And like, there's no way that you would be able to get that anywhere else besides those tape trades. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or Japan, you know, people would, would find it from Japan or like, or different countries. Right. So like, yeah, there's no way you could get them. And uh, yeah, and the, and the television, right? Like like Florida TV or whatever it might be. So I just I just love it too because obviously since wrestling is so um, theatrical and obviously this was pre-internet, you would just be the only thing you could rely on is the images right, right in front of you, and you would look at this dude who's like larger than life, and you'd be like, I need to know more about this Japanese wrestler I've never heard of before. Well, yeah, and and you know PWI magazine, like let's go back to that, but like. That those were right. Like that's the only way we would know about these independent wrestlers was sometimes they would give like probably just, you know, they would give a page or two pages. And there's a guy named reckless youth who was like the king of the independence in 1997. He wasn't on television, but like he was based out of the Northeast. That's where the magazines were based out of the Northeast. And like, they made him out to be like a God. And like, I, you know, at one point I had never seen his matches, but he was my favorite wrestler, you know, just cause it was like this guy that somehow, you know, like on the same magazine as Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, you know, uh, Ric Flair was reckless youth. And like, for some reason, like I, I was blown away by it. And I just thought he was the coolest fucking guy. And I had never seen his, his matches, but just like the idea that he was just this outcast. And like, it's just another, and, and like, you know, I had reckless on my podcast and like, and you, it's kind of a theme on my podcast is just like these guys that I'm like, was always in awe about that I read in PWI magazine that I never knew or, or, or I never saw any of their matches, but like they just had my respect because they weren't on television yet. They were getting that they like, they obviously had to have been good enough that someone was like putting them on. And it was also like, almost like, Hey, like if you, you like, you'll only be able to see this guy. Like if you try really, really hard, 
And there's something about that that always resonated with me is like, you can't just, he's not, listen, you can't just turn on USA network at eight o'clock. Like you have to try hard to see this guy. And like, in my head, I was like, like, that's like, Oh, like I'm, I'll be a huge fan. Like, like, you know, all these other guys aren't trying hard, but I'm a huge fan. So I'll try hard and it'll show my fandom almost. I, and I totally love that. It's, it's it, well, I mean, it, it, yeah, like I said, it just, it, it gives me goosebumps because it's like you and I were having the same experiences, obviously with two different cultures, but it's like, that's to me, that just shows the, uh, you know, why these two communities are so important and obviously why there's like such, such, such crossover because it's like, at the end of the day, we're the weird kids in the corner as far as like, you know, what are you into? Why right. you should be more into this thing or whatever. And it's like, no, I like this. You know, I like going into <laughs> essentially we're going into dark rooms with a bunch of sweaty dudes. That's kind of what we're both doing. <laughs> yeah. Like mind. Yeah. Like-minded people. And, and like, I don't know about you, but like everyone from my high school, they all became like doctors, lawyers and real estate. And I'm the fucking, for some reason, like I'm the weird wrestler, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. Well, Colt, thank you so much, dude. I knew that we were going to, not like we were setting out to prove a case of the uh, link between independent music and independent wrestling, but uh, I think uh, I, I think we can uh, settle this case, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always, and like I know it's there, obviously, like I always get so many messages for, and, and Twitter and Facebook messages from like, from bands and from, and from guys on the road. Like I get it a lot who listen to my podcast while they're on the road with their band and, and, um, and they're just always like, it's just so parallel. And like, uh, I, I love it whenever I hear that, whenever I hear that, like, you know, people are, are, are touring and listening to my show. Like I love it just as much as, as they love listening to it. Cause I like, I have that same, you know, I, I don't know if it's romanticism or whatever it might be with comedy or whatever. So like I, I get it a lot and I love it. And like, yeah, I, I think anyone in the, in the quote unquote arts, you know, like musicians, comedians, ma- even uh, magicians, you know, like totally. Uh, yeah. Whatever it might be. Like we're all, we're all kind of from the same, uh, cut from the same cloth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Colt. This has been super fun. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Seriously. If you listen to that and you don't one, become a fan of him and two, don't realize the similarities in what it is that, uh, you know, maybe we do in the independent music scene and uh, what Colt has done in independent wrestling. Uh, I don't think you were listening, <laughs> but uh, anyways, thank you so much Colt for coming on the show. It was uh, awesome to obviously get to know him a little bit better <clears throat> and then yeah, have fun in the process. So the music as always provided for this show is by lowercase noises, unbelievable stuff that he does. So Google him, find him on Bandcamp, Facebook, wherever it is you consume music and uh, you'll be able to listen to that. Email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com and you can visit the show's website at 100wordspodcast.com. But please, above all, just tell some friends, right? Tell some people who like podcasts or who like music and um, yeah, have them dive into this because, you know, at this point, we're we're knee deep in the uh, in the uh, uh, the amount of episodes that we have. That's what I was trying to think of, like how to how to describe that. But uh, so some people it might be uh, impenetrable, but to other people, it's just like I just tell them pick and choose, you know, dive into a few. And then uh, hopefully by that point, you'll start to uh, get keyed into the show on a weekly basis. So there we go. And uh, the guest next week is Max Bemis from Say Anything in Two Tongues. I had his bro, Chris Conley, from Two Tongues on a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, Max was uh, kind enough to make some time in his schedule because yeah he's a crazy schedule he's like the type of guy that you know stays up all night and then uh you know wakes up at like uh you know two and then (laughs) just stays up all night it's just crazy his uh his work ethic and uh his family life it's just all incredibly interesting and he was super super open with me so anyways 
that's next week. And um, yes, please be safe, everybody. Right? Okay. I'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.